0: listening to episode seven of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 14. Diurnia Orbital, December 21, 2372. I'd forgotten the sybaritic pleasure of a hotel bed. They're frequently soft, invariably wider than a bunk, and dressed with luxurious linens, More, when sleeping in a hotel, my body seems to know it doesn't need to wake at any particular time. The sweet arms of Morpheus hold me safe, right up until my bladder kicks some sense into me and drags me out of bed and into the cold porcelain light. It was barely 0600 when cold tiles interfered with snuggly dreams, and I found myself in the middle of my morning routine before I really grasped the idea that my day didn't need to begin until I wanted it to— By then, of course, it was too late, and I finished rinsing off the depilatory cream, brushed my teeth, and frowned at the sparseness of the fuzz that adorned my scalp. Having a spacer's buzz cut saved me from the indignity of the comb-over, but apparently not the risk of blinding people from the reflection. As if that weren't enough, clothing became a problem as soon as I padded out of the bathroom and began rummaging in my graft trunk. I had ship suits, uniforms, workout gear, and almost no civilian business attire— I found four pairs of jeans in various states of disrepair, a couple of polo shirts, and exactly one sport coat, which on close inspection was missing two of the three buttons on the front. The ship suits would be fine from mooching about the docks, and I could wear an undress uniform anywhere on the orbital in a pinch. The dress blue uniform was wrong for almost every social occasion I could think of, and while I might eke by with it for some business meetings, I didn't think Willie Simpson would appreciate me showing up in it. I needed to do some shopping, at least enough to get by on in the short term until I could find a decent tailor. On a whim, I rummaged around in the bottom of one of the trunks and turned up a small box of odds and ends. In it, I found the small data key with the engraved R on the top, my introduction to Henri Roubaix. I tucked it into the top of the graph trunk where I could find it easily later. Pulling on the least disreputable pair of jeans and a dark green polo shirt, I padded barefoot out into the common room. I rummaged around in the small kitchenette until I found the coffee-making supplies and proceeded to make some coffee-colored water that might have had more taste if i just chewed the paper filter. I looked at an ornate clock on the wall and tried to prioritize what I needed to do. Another sip, and I realized the first thing I needed to do was find a decent cup of coffee. I retrieved a pair of socks and ship boots from my trunk, slipped on the badly dated sport coat, and grabbed my tablet from the nightstand. It fit neatly into a side pocket. The door opened predictably onto the corridor, and I used it to slip out of the suite. Of all the problems I faced in the day, coffee was one I knew how to address. I headed for the lift, and as I stepped aboard my stomach growled loudly. I punched the O2 button, and headed for the solution to that problem as well. The aromas of coffee, bacon, and toast flooded the lift as soon as the doors opened on the O2 deck. Whoever engineered that placement had to have been a genius, and I shook my head in admiration as I pushed through the door to Overeasy my favorite restaurant in the whole sector. The breakfast rush roared inside with the clinking of metal on China, half a hundred conversations, shuffling feet, and all the myriad sounds a small room filled with people all busily eating can hold. I lurked by the door until I saw a beefy woman, wearing an orbital maintenance jumpsuit, push back off a stool on the left end of the counter. I made my way to it even as she slid between the tables and headed for the door. The vinyl seat was still warm as I clambered onto it, but the place in front was already clean and set with fresh silver and a pristine white china mug. I recognized Phil before I saw his name tag, but I didn't think he'd recognized me until I got a flash of teeth. He splashed the mug full without even asking. The usual, Captain, he asked with an arch of his eyebrows. Yes, please, Phil. He nodded once, scrawled something on an anachronistic paper tablet, and slapped it onto a clip and the rotating contraption in the kitchen pass-through. The coffee hit the spot, and after a few swallows, my brain stopped complaining and started kicking over, fitfully, but kicking. The comfortable hubbub of the restaurant faded into the background while I considered my options. In my mind, I started a mental list of the things I needed to do. First on it, I needed to meet with William Simpson. Before I could do that, I needed to get some better clothes. Nothing flashy, but at least better than decrepit jeans and a dated jacket. I pondered Avery's advice on renting an office. If I was going to keep Miss Arione busy, perhaps having a locale would be the right choice. Something about that idea niggled in the back of my brain, but a plate of ambrosia derailed the train of thought, and I dug into breakfast with a will. The eggs were perfect, bacon crispy, and the mound of onion-fried potatoes made the perfect base. In about four ticks, the china plate held only a couple of greasy smears and a bit of yolk that I sopped up with the last corner of toast. I sighed in contentment and finished the coffee. Phil offered to refill, but there was a line at the door, and I had things to do, so I refused, thumbed the tab, and headed back to the room to do some research on clothiers. If I were quick, I could probably get outfitted before I paid a visit to the offices of Lark, Simpson, and Green. As I stepped out of the restaurant, a wiry hand dug into my right elbow and used my forward momentum to swing me around face to the wall, and warm weight pinned me there while a sharp metal object dug into my back just above my kidney. "'This is what we're trying to avoid, isn't it, Captain?' "'Miss Arione hissed into my ear. "'People getting to jump on you? "'Maybe robbing you, or worse?' "'She dug what had to have been her tactical defense pen "'into my back for emphasis. "'She held me there for about five heartbeats "'before releasing the pressure on the pen and stepping back. "'And a cheerful good morning to you, too, Miss Arione.' "'She stood there in a variation of the outfit "'she'd worn the night before. "'Her face was flushed, "'and her expression was not one "'I was used to seeing directed at me. "'That's what you have to say.' "'A cheerful good morning to you, too, Miss Arione?' She rested a fist on her hip and cocked her pelvis to the side. The coated titanium barrel of the defense pen gleamed in the overhead lights as she rolled it between and over the fingers of her free hand. "'You don't seem to be taking this very seriously, Captain.' A pair of spacers gave us amused grins as they stepped around us and pushed through the door to over-easy. "'Perhaps we could head for the lift while we chat, Miss Arione, at least clear the passage a bit.' I nodded at the lift doors. "'Shall we go?' Miss Arione groaned in exasperation as I struck off, leaving her standing there. "'If you're not going to take this seriously, Captain, there's not a lot of point, is there?' I turned, and she still stood there, fist on hip and free hand twiddling the black metal. Her expression was something between hot anger and bleak despair. I sighed and walked back to where she stood. "'My apologies, Miss Arione. Perhaps we can start over? As you say, it's good for us to have these little opportunities to perfect our routines before we need them, right?' She didn't seem overly convinced, and maintained her petulant posture. "'Have you had breakfast, Miss Arione? Would you like some? I happen to know that this place serves an excellent meal, and I highly recommend it.' She closed her eyes and took a deep breath, letting it out slowly and allowing her head to fall forward on her neck as she gathered herself. "'Not just at the moment, Captain. Thank you.' She kept her voice low and her tone reasonable. I do apologize, Miss Arione. I slipped out thinking I wouldn't disturb your rest. I plead lack of adequate coffee on a foggy brain as my excuse. Had I been thinking clearly, I would have gotten you up and at least told you where I was going. She sighed and realized what a picture we must make, having a spat in the middle of the promenade, and relaxed her stance, turning toward the lift herself, and we started strolling. I'm sorry, too, Captain. I shouldn't have made a scene, but. Her voice trailed off, and she crossed her arms under her breast, stared at the deck as we strolled along. "'But,' I prompted when she didn't continue after a few heartbeats. "'She glanced up at me with a haunted expression. "'But you scared the hell out of me, Captain.' "'Scared you, Miss Arione. "'I came out looking for you. "'I found a pot of coffee in the kitchen, "'a cup with what looked like two sips taken out of it, "'your room torn up, your trunks wide open "'and looking like they'd been rifled, "'clothes everywhere, and you weren't there. "'I didn't know where you'd gone. "'I had no way to reach you.' I relaxed a little when the bellman said he saw you leaving by yourself, dressed in civvies and heading for the lift, but... She paused and shrugged a bit sheepishly. By then I was so mad I wanted to kill you myself. I nearly laughed, but realized she was serious and I'd already insulted her too much for one day. I managed to control it. Why would anybody want to kidnap me, Miss Arione? I worked to keep my voice level and reasonable. Sorry. I should have shown you this last night. She looked around and crossed to a newsy kiosk and pressed the preview button on the top. A series of headlines flashed across the preview screen, superimposed with a read-the-whole-story-by-now watermark over the top. She stopped the display on a headline that read, Diurnia's most eligible bachelor. Under it, a slightly blurred but still recognizable picture showing a three-quarter view of a man in a ship suit walking along the docks. Is that supposed to be me? I asked, leaning into the screen to try to see. She shook her head and sighed in exasperation. "'No, Captain, that is you. I'd say it was taken sometime yesterday morning before the change of command. You went out in the morning and came back with Mr. Wyatt.' I looked at her sharply until I remembered she'd been on watch. "'Yes, but what makes you think this was—' I turned back to the picture and realized that the blurry figure walking along with me was, in fact, Avery Wyatt. "'Oh.' "'I saw this last night at the café while I was waiting for you. "'I meant to show it to you, but then you and Miss Kingsley walked away "'and I forgot about it until this morning when I got up and found you gone. "'I straightened up and realized that from her perspective she had a good point. "'I nodded to her in apology. "'I'm sorry, Miss Arione. We obviously do need to work out our procedures.' "'We took a few more steps toward the lift before something she said caught my attention. "'What did you mean you had no way to contact me?' She spread her hands helplessly. No tablet. I had to turn it back in when I left the ship. No PIDA? I asked. She shook her head. I lost it when they locked me up, and I never replaced it because I always had the ship's tablet. We need to fix that first. Chapter fifteen, Diurnia Orbital, December twenty-one, twenty-three seventy-two. It took a stand to get a tablet. "'It wasn't so much the expense as finding somebody who'd sell me one. "'It was one of those learning experiences that I kept finding so surprising. "'It was the first time I'd tried to buy ship's gear while in civvies, "'or at least what they considered sensitive gear. "'I had to thumb an ident chip to prove I was a captain before they'd sell me one, "'and even then they didn't like the idea that I wasn't actually on a ship. "'Remind me to come in uniform next time, Miss "'I muttered as we left the chandlery with a new tablet and a carry-all. "'Aye, aye, Sar!' She had a little giggle in her voice. We took about four steps toward the lift when I felt her stiffen. What is it, Miss Arione? That man just took your picture. She nodded unobtrusively to a skinny man wearing an orbital admin jumpsuit. He had turned away and was studiously examining a ding in the surface of the bulkhead, diagonally across the promenade. Are you sure? Skipper? The exasperation was plain in her voice. We were almost even with him, and I caught him glancing in our direction before he went back to running his fingers over the dented bulkhead. This is going to get tedious, isn't it, Miss Arione? I'm afraid so, Skipper. I sighed and reached for my tablet, freeing it from my pocket as I crossed the promenade and walked directly up to the man. Captain! Miss Arione's voice was a muttered hissing sound behind me. She made it sound like a curse. I admired that. Excuse me? I spoke to the man from about three meters off. He glanced up, looking a bit flustered but keeping himself turned toward the bulkhead, trying to maintain his fiction. If you wouldn't mind, I asked, waving a hand vaguely in the air. He forgot himself and straightened, turning to face me. His eyes flickered toward Miss Arione and back again to my face, just in time to get the full force of the photo flash head-on. The digital in my tablet showed a nicely recognizable mugshot of the man from his navel up. I leaned sideways to show the likeness to Miss Arione. I hope he takes a better photo from behind the lens than he does in front. She frowned, but made a big show of looking at the image. Not terribly flattering, is it, Captain. No, the flash does that, but it does illuminate him nicely and shows the name badge very well, too. I flipped the tablet around so the very confused man could see. He blinked at it, still recovering from the flash in the face. I'm going to assume, for the sake of our purposes this morning, Mr. I ostentatiously read the name from the image on my tablet, Allen. that this is really your name, and that you really do work in the orbital admin department. As I spoke, he began to regain his composure, and a smirk sneaked onto his face. "'Assume whatever you like, Captain Huang.' "'Ah, good, you know me. That saves so much time.' I turned my head to Miss Arione, without taking my eyes off the alleged Mr. Allen. "'Do you see any uniformed security personnel in our vicinity, Miss Arione?' I heard her step back a bit and presumed she was looking port and starboard around the promenade. "'No, Captain?' "'Ah, well. Then can you point out the nearest security camera, please?' "'It's directly over your head, Skipper.' I thought as much. There should be one or two further down the promenade that capture this area. Would you wave at one of them, please, Miss Arione? Waving now, Captain. Thank you, Miss Arione. And do you see the chronometer on the bulkhead above the chandlery? I do, Captain. The time? o nine forty-three, 9.43, Captain. Thank you, Miss Arione. We now have a date, a place, and a time, and a security service track, along with a very close-up and detailed image of our Mr. Allen. Would you say so, Miss Arione? I would, Captain thank you, Miss Arione. Meanwhile, the man in question began looking around, perhaps for help or a confederate. The self-assured smirk had been replaced with the look of a man who began to think he faced someone who might be missing a few rivets in the deck plating. I smiled slowly at him. One more thing, Miss Arione. Yes, Captain. Would you recognize him again if you saw him? I would, Captain. Then when you see him again, please don't kill him. His eyes went round, and he took an involuntary step backward, trying to decide if I was crazy. "'Are you certain, Captain?' "'Yes, Miss Arione, quite certain.' "'Okay, Skipper, I won't.' "'Thank you, Miss Arione.' I let my smile fade. "'Now, Mr. Allen,' I paused and gave him a little nod, "'you may or may not be aware that impersonating informed orbital staff is a class-A felony. "'But,' I held up my hand, "'I'm not accusing you of anything, Mr. Allen.' I held up the tablet. "'I just mention it because if you're not actually Mr. Allen and you can't convince the authorities that you have a valid reason for wearing Mr. Allen's uniform, it might be wise for you to find a shuttle.' "'Shuttle won't work, Skipper.' "'Why is that, Miss Arione?' "'Extradition here. It's a confederated planet. He'd have to go to Breakall or Jet, maybe.' "'Thank you for that clarification, Miss Arione. You're very welcome, Skipper.' I nodded to Mr. Allen. "'Next time be more careful.' I turned and continued strolling down the promenade as Ms. stepped along beside me, and we walked in silence for a while. Do you think you scared him, Skipper? I thought about it. It was a pretty obvious play. I'm pretty sure we didn't get a clean win, but he'll think twice next time. I glanced at her. You will recognize him again. Oh, yes, sir. As we rounded the curve to the lift, we met two uniformed security guards coming the other way. One had a tablet out with an image on it. When they saw us, they changed course to intercept. I grinned. "'Officers, good morning. Thank you for your prompt assistance.' I still had my tablet out and held it up for them to see what I had before I made any sudden moves. "'What seems to be the problem, sir? The shorter of the two seemed to be the spokesman for the team. "'I'm Captain Ishmael Huang. This is Able Spacer Stacey Arione of my crew. "'We were leaving the chandlery when a man dressed in an orbital admin jumpsuit accosted us. "'What did he do, Captain?' Nothing very serious. Took our picture, pretended he didn't, spent a goodly amount of time making a close inspection of a dent in the wall. The two officers looked at each other. That doesn't sound very threatening, Captain. It wasn't, but his behavior was so suspicious that I began to doubt that he was really who he purported to be. I held up the digital. He's wearing the uniform of a person named Allen. I don't think he's Mr. Allen. The two looked startled and frowned. Why do you think that? When I called him Mr. Allen, he didn't respond. Maybe he didn't hear you. "'It's possible,' I turned to Miss Arione. "'Did you think he acted like Alan was really his name?' She shook her head. "'I'm pretty sure that's not his jumpsuit, Captain.' The taller guard frowned at her. "'Why do you say that, Miss?' "'I think it's a woman's suit, with the darts under the arms "'and cut wider in the seat.' She shrugged. "'I could be wrong.' I blinked at her. She stared blandly back at me. I turned back to the officers. "'Maybe it's nothing, but I thought I'd let somebody know, just in case.' Thank you, Captain. The taller one spoke for the first time. May we have a copy of that digital? Of course. I flashed a copy to his portable, and he nodded to his partner. If you need anything, I'm at the LaGrange point, or you can contact me through DST's offices here. Thank you, Captain. They nodded to us and moved on around the promenade, moving more quickly. One already had his communicator out. I continued, walking toward the lift. After about five steps, Miss Arione said, You know, Skipper, I thought you were bluffing about the photo. I grinned. I hope our Mr. Allen believed that as well. Were you, sir? I looked over at her. You mean, was I bluffing? Yes, sir. Now, Miss Arione, I was pretty sure that when you waved directly at that camera, sharp eyes in orbital security would see it and send a patrol in our direction. She tisked. What if they didn't? The lift arrived and we stepped aboard. I keyed the button to take us to the hotel. We'd have stopped on deck six and filed a report. She laughed. Really? I shrugged. Of course, why not? What if his name really is Alan? I raised an eyebrow at her. Do you think that's likely? She thought about it. Not really. She thought some more. Or if it is, I bet he doesn't work in admin. That's a given, Miss Arione. You sound pretty sure, Captain. Oh, I am. We rode all the way to eight and stepped out of the lift before she finally asked. Okay, why are you so sure? Because he was examining a dent in the bulkhead. She gave me a hairy eyeball. Admin would never do maintenance work. She laughed and shook her head. That was good work on the woman's suit, though, Miss Arione. I didn't catch that. She got an odd look on her face. You never bluff, do you, Skipper? I thought about it. I'm a terrible liar, Miss Arione. I try not to do it at all, so perhaps never is too strong a word, but no, I hardly ever bluff. She grinned at me. I do. We arrived at the hotel and found two messages waiting, one from Kirsten Kingsley and one from William Simpson. "'Fancy lunch with Kirsten, Miss Arione?' "'Sounds okay, Skipper.' "'She was focused on getting her new tablet fired up. "'She says she has a job for us.' "'That got her attention. "'Us, sir?' "'That's what it says.' "'How does she know about me?' "'She looked at me with a stricken look on her face. "'She saw you playing bodyguard on the promenade last night.' "'Oh, her boy wasn't all that subtle. "'You two should have teamed up. "'Would have been more believable.' "'She flashed me an aggravated look "'and went back to work on her tablet.' I'm going to take a shower, I announced to the room at large. Don't leave unless you tell me, sir. She didn't look up. I shook my head and headed for the sumptuously appointed shower, complete with three heads and a hand sprayer. By the time I got out, I saw the message light on my tablet was flashing. Surprised, I opened it up and saw a message from Miss Arione. It read, Thank you, Captain. I promise not to mug you in the passageways again. I snickered and keyed a reply. Thank you, Miss Arione. Much appreciated. I clicked send and heard her tablet bip in the next room. I sighed and surveyed the wreckage that was my wardrobe. I needed clothing. Something better than the civvy's department at the chandlery. I slipped my jeans and polo back on and padded out to the common room. Miss Arione, who's got the best men's shop here in Diurnia?' She was still playing with her tablet and looked up to frown at me. "'Skipper, how long have you been with DST? Ten stanyards?' "'Something more than that, Miss Arione.' "'Don't you ever shop?' She eyed the polo and jeans. "'No, I guess you don't. Where did you get those? The chandlery?' I looked down at myself. Uh, Probably, yeah. She gave a long, suffering sigh. You want to dress to impress or just get by? Or what? I ran a hand over my scalp and sighed. You know, I really haven't thought much about clothes since I made Third Mate. I've been too busy. You wouldn't know it now, but I used to really know how to dress at one time. She shook her head. Well, you're in a ritzy hotel, ask the concierge. He'll know. He takes care of rich people every day. I'm not rich people, Miss Arione. She arched an eyebrow in my direction without actually turning her head. Then why do the Newsies have pictures of you with misleading captions? Another one. She held up her tablet so I could see the picture. The headline read, Trouble in Paradise? It was a picture of Miss Arione and me outside of Overeasy, just at the point where she'd smacked me into the bulkhead. My head was turned so my face was clearly visible, if very grainy, and Miss Arione's cheek was just in the frame. That didn't take long. She shook her head. It doesn't. Saves so much time when you don't have to actually check facts or get photo releases or anything. Concierge, huh? And dress your age, please. I'm not guarding some midlife crisis case with delusions of youth. Miss She looked over at me. Sir? If you ever believe that I'm a midlife crisis with delusions of youth... She had the grace to blush when she realized what she'd said. She swallowed before answering. Yes, sir? Kill me quickly. She laughed. "'Deal, Skipper.' I shook my head and went back to my room to grab some boots. We had a stand or so before our luncheon with Kirsten. Perhaps it would suffice to get something decent to wear. In less than two ticks, Miss Arione and I had braced the concierge about menswear, and he'd assured us that a shop with the unlikely name of Chicks would provide what we needed. We took the lift down to Deck 7 and located the place without difficulty— A dummy in the display window wore a classic navy blazer and white slacks combo over a garishly patterned shirt with a Henley collar. Miserione eyed it even more dubiously than I did, but we went in. The shop wasn't crowded, but a number of patrons, men in their late twenties and early thirties mostly, kept the sales staff busy. I took the opportunity to do a survey stroll around the shop to get a feel for the kinds of clothing available, and even Miserione seemed satisfied. "'At least the look she was giving some of the other patrons seemed quite predatory, "'which I took to be a good sign. "'Eventually a harried-looking individual dressed in a polo and jeans "'that looked suspiciously like they'd come from the chandlery came to help us. "'He eyed me dubiously and tried not to flirt with Miss Arione. "'Sir,' he asked, "'call me Ishmael,' I told him with a grin. "'Okay, Ishmael, how can I help you?' "'I sighed and focused. "'I need some basics, a couple of jackets, some shirts, a pair of slacks, "'and a good pair of jeans.' Okey-doke, any preference on color and fabric. Uh, wool blends on the jacket, charcoal and navy, chino or twill pants, flat front, khaki, off-white. I need at least one white shirt and a couple of pastels. The two of them goggled at me. One moment, sir, uh, Ishmael. I'll be right back. Ms. Arione sidled up to me with the most confused expression on her face. Sar, if you know how to dress, what are you doing wearing those? Her eyes swept my outfit. "'I told you, Miss Arione, I used to dress all the time. "'Since I've been an officer, I've just not had the time where they need.' "'Our eager salesman returned with several items over his arms. "'In a matter of a few ticks, I'd selected the jackets and slacks, "'added a couple of shirts, and rejected every tie in the place. "'The shirts fit well enough off the rack, "'and the standard-sized slacks only needed a quick run "'through the hemming machine in the back room. "'The jackets needed an extra couple of ticks, "'but in less than half a stand, I'd dropped over 500 credits on clothing.' I chuckled as I thumbed the tab, and Miss Arione arched an eyebrow. What's so funny, sar?" I remember the first time I bought real clothes and thumbed the tab. Everybody was shocked that I'd spent that much money on one basic outfit with a couple of shirts. She frowned in disbelief. What'd it cost, a hundred credits? More like two kilocreds. That must have been a long time ago, she said. And miles away, Miss Arione, I smiled at the memory. That was one outfit I never regretted buying. ''Really?'' she said dubiously. ''I still haven't found a tailor like Roubaix." The clerk gasped. ''Sir?'' I turned to him. ''Yes?'' I thought I'd forgotten something, like paying the bill. ''You knew Henri Roubaix?" ''Yes, but it was a long time ago.'' ''Over in Dunsney Roads, yes?'' He seemed quite excited. ''Yeah, that's him. Funny little guy, but he knew how to dress people.'' I sighed in admiration at the memory. ''You never,'' Miserione said. ''What?'' I looked at her in shock. I most certainly did. Twice, actually. The second time was only to get some fresh clothes for the Academy, if I remember correctly. "'Is it true you needed an invitation, sir?' the clerk asked. "'Actually, no. He called it an introduction, I think.' Ms. Arione squinted her eyes at me. Then her face relaxed, and she looked at me thoughtfully. Turning back to the clerk, I asked, "'Shoes? Boots, preferably. Where?' The clerk shook his head. "'Not here, sir.' He regarded me with something akin to awe, and it was beginning to make me nervous." Where would you suggest? Lost soul, about four doors to spinward. The sales clerk finished bundling the purchases, and he started to hand them to me, and I nodded at Miss Arione. She shot me a dirty look and refused the bags. I'm a bodyguard, not a sherpa, sir. The clerk looked back and forth between us, seemingly at odds as to what to do with the bundles. I took them off his hands, and we headed out the door. The lost soul was on the way to the lift, and only two hundred credits later we headed back to the room. I glanced at the chrono and realized we still had half a stand before we were supposed to meet Kirsten, so I shooed Miss away from the bags of clothing and skinned into one of the outfits, slapped a pair of shoes on my feet, hung an extra jacket in the closet. I found that my tablet dragged the jacket out of shape if I put it in the roomy side pocket, but also discovered that it fit nicely inside the left breast. Miss met me at the door with an approving glance, and we sallied forth to find out what job Kirsten Kingsley had in mind. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation of Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. license. For more information about the book, the author, or the golden age of the solar clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.